I, I can't disconnect myself from the text. Hmm. I can't. It's not yeah. possible. These words are in me. And when we start talking about life, the stories come up. My name is Jonah. I'm a pastor, activist, community organizer, and follower of Jesus. I love the Bible, but I've been told it doesn't love me back. Enter the peacock. An ancient symbol of abundance, the peacock is more than beautiful. It serves as a guard animal around the world because it eats poisonous spiders and snakes. How does it survive? Peacocks can break down poison, get to the good stuff, and emerge fed and strengthened. Some say this is how the peacock gets its beautiful iridescent feathers. Join me and my guests as we read the Bible in the spirit of the peacock. Re-encounter nourishing scriptures that have been poisoned by hate and ignorance. Break down toxic theology and get to the good stuff. Emerge fed and strengthened with a beautiful, iridescent faith. Welcome to Jonah and the Peacock, a podcast about poison, healing, and the Bible. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Jonah and the Peacock. Today's episode features a conversation I got to have with Derek Scott III. Some of you may recognize him, our, uh, a member of our production team who does so much important work for Jonah and the Peacock behind the scenes. But he also uh, helped me out in episode one, holding space for me to tell my own story and do a lot of my own reflection. And he was so gracious with me then and gracious to come back to talk about his own story and his own journey. And I, I got to tell you guys, I just... I delight in Derek. I think he is just a charming and lovely um, and kind person and and just such a pleasure to talk to. The joy in his life radiates out through this conversation and every conversation I have with him. And I, I got so much joy in just being able to hold the spotlight for him for a moment because, you know, we'll, we'll get into it right at the beginning of the episode, but he talks a lot about the Enneagram. And if you don't know much about the Enneagram, it is a personality tool. It's very popular in certain Christian spaces. Um, and, and I'll give a little bit more of an explanation as we go into it in the conversation. But, but he identifies with a certain profile um, within the Enneagram that tends to be a little bit more reserved, a little more overlooked, a little more background. And he does such an incredible job of holding space for other people in this world, for holding space for other people's stories. And he says at one point, you know, I'm always here for everyone else's story, but I'm not always here to tell mine. And so it's such an honor to to be there with him as he boldly tells his story today on the pod. And, uh, and, and what a beautiful story it is. You know, Derek is uh, an intellectual and, uh, and a thoughtful person, uh, uh, someone drawn in towards scripture in terms of study. And as he speaks, you can tell he just has an intimate knowledge of, of the Bible and, and of what it says. And that actually served him so well, um, you know, in his identity, coming to terms with himself as a same gender loving man, he... He knew that the world around him would condemn him, and he feared that the God he loved, who he thought loved him, might condemn him too. But it was actually the scripture itself, which so many people have weaponized against people like Derek and people like myself. So many people have weaponized the scriptures against us, and yet Derek went in deeper 
and and got that intimate knowledge and studied day and night like the scripture itself encourages us to do and in it he found freedom and he found affirmation and he found joy and uh, and he gets to share that and his journey here today with you as well as then take you on a journey into scripture from his vantage point and re-encounter the story of Pentecost or discover for the first time the story of the Holy Spirit um, just energizing and infusing uh, the the church and the life of the church and the people who were seeking to follow after Jesus. So I, I really hope that through this conversation, getting to know Derek, holding space for for his uniqueness, that you can start to appreciate a little bit of your own uniqueness and the way that, um, that there is truth out there in the scripture for you that is there to affirm you and lift you up. And, and that in your, your complexity, whether that's an identity that's marginalized or part of your personality that shapes how you interact with the world, that those things are holy, that they are good and that they are, uh, They are important to bring to God, to the church, and to the Bible. Enjoy. I am your classic textbook Enneagram 5 that's really just trying to get back to my castle as quick as I can. Yeah. yeah. Well, so can so, you actually, I think this is interesting. Yeah. Would you be willing to explain that for people who don't know what the Enneagram is? What does it mean to be an Enneagram 5? Yeah. I mean, I, I can explain that we, we are observers and our desire is one, to collect lots of data but it's because we don't want to ever be caught flat-footed. We don't like being embarrassed. We don't like not having what we need. And it's a, and it's a huge fear to not be enough. Hmm. And so there's this voice in the head of a five that's constantly saying, you're not enough. You're not enough. You don't have enough. You don't know enough. You don't, you can't, you're not big enough. Um, hmm. You're not small enough. <laughs> I was like, I mean, yeah. And it gets really weird when like, you're not small enough. Like you're not... Hmm you're not fitting into a a nook well enough or a niche well enough. So that becomes part of the constant conversation. And so fives respond to it in many different ways. But ultimately it's this sense that I am never fully equipped to show up. So how do I minimize the amount of times I have to show up and how do I maximize how much I get to observe and and mm. and hoard and pull in. So a five, well, often if you ask them a question, and now that I'm telling you this, you're going to see it. You're literally going to see it happen where you're going to ask me a question and I'm going to, in my brain, I'm going to be running down the hall, the library hallway, mm. looking for the file that has all of the data in it. And I'm going to do it real quick, but I'm going to like go up in there and like run down that 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 aisle, go to that section, open that file cabinet, pull out that file, start unpacking what's in the file. It's all there. I just have to run down the hallway to go get it. And it's the exact data you're looking for. And it, yes. And when it's not, ah, no, you didn't answer a good question or you didn't tell me what you were actually, which is frustrating when you're a preacher and you know that all Mm. the people, it's a diversity of people in the room. And so every message has to like hit all the points. 
Mm. There's no such thing as a message that I give that's not trying to hit all the points. Even when I say I'm centering this conversation on a specific group of people, I'm partly saying that because I'm trying to help these other people understand that in this moment, it's important to center this person. And so I'm actually saying that, trying to do, oh, it's a whole thing. And so That that I actually relate to. Yeah, yeah. When we are healthy or moving towards like integrating all the parts of ourselves, we open up and we say what's on our mind. And we're not as concerned about being wrong or not being enough, not being a full answer, because what we realize is that we are bringing a perspective that is helpful and that is um, necessary. We just want to bring it all and we want to bring it all with like full accuracy. Um, So when we're healthy, we're like, we just open up. And I mean, in this sense, I've been healthier since I've come out because Mm. by coming out, I'm actually... And I don't have all the answers and I never try to claim to have it, but I'm, I'm, I'm plugging in a piece of the queer story that has yeah. been missing. And, and it's only missing because I wasn't there. Like it's not missing. Cause like nobody's doing the work. It's a Derek's sure. unique perspective of it. So that, that point where a five starts just saying what's in there yeah. and not being so concerned about being enough it's, is health and integration. That is why I'm fascinated because I think that like a lot of people listening may not know what the Enneagram is. And so just a little brief kind of, you know, what is the Enneagram? It's a tool um, Mm. based Mm -hmm. on some modern interpretations of really some ancient principles. Um, And it's really spiritually grounded. It's very interesting. Um, And it's about patterns that emerge in the the construction of our personality. And there are some people who will argue that we're sort of born that way with different types and tendencies. There are other people who say that we learned it. But either way, it's a really useful tool for understanding clusters of patterns of behaviors and motivations. Yeah, Um, yeah. And it's an invitation, I think, really to understand ourselves, to understand God. Um, One of the things I love is the description that the Enneagram describes um, different faces of God, that there are Mm -hmm. all of these different facets and there is, is, as we are all made in the image of God, each type represents a different aspect of God's goodness. Um, and each one has pitfalls because when we lean too hard into one aspect of our being, you know, we overcompensate. We're trying to exactly. um, cover our fears or heal our wounds in inappropriate mm-hmm. ways. And so the whole goal is to be as integrated as possible and to, to connect to the whole Enneagram, really. But but we have these tendencies and types. So, so that's the, the drive-by basics of the Enneagram. And one of the reasons I love it is because especially with someone like you who has done some of that work and really reflected deeply on it, it's a, it's a really great way to, to explore who you are. And that is what this mm-hmm. podcast is about. So there's no way to get that wrong. Uh, Awesome. But to say, you know, who are you? Who are you? And where do you see mm-hmm. that reflected in the scriptures? Where is that neglected by our cultural interpretations of the scriptures? Um, and how do you emerge into fullness of being? And it sounds like the Enneagram has been a tool for you to see some of that in yourself. Yeah? Okay. So this is where it's going to like really intersect <clears throat> pretty well. Um, part of the journey of me deciding to come out as a same gender loving slash gay slash queer man um, was because of what I discovered in the Enneagram. And it was recognizing that I was a five and that um, 
to move towards more integration, to move towards strength and to move towards health, I needed to be bold in saying things I normally wouldn't say. And so there is a straight line from that discovery to being having the courage to come out. And there are these few manuals around uh, the, uh, around Enneagram and, and, you know, different descriptions and stuff. But by and large, they all kind of say to the five, the world is waiting for you. This is so weird to say. But the world is waiting for you to say what you think. We need wow. you. They, they say things like, we need your wisdom. Mm. We need to know what you see because you see things and you see them in a way that is not just like an opinion. You've been gathering data, which is why you see it the way you do. And every time I would read a description, I'd be like, damn it, I don't want to come out. Like, yeah. I'm fine. Like, I like I like my church world. And I like, you know, my small little, little village knows who I am. Those are the only people who really need to know. Nobody needs to know that I'm same gender loving. Like, mm. I, I, nobody, and actually, uh, long story short, yeah, they did. Yeah, they and, did. And, and, and it was, it, it, again, it feeds into, you know, some of the stuff we'll talk about later, but um, we are not who we need to be if we don't hear all the stories which I'm always here for everybody else's story, but Mm. I'm not always here to tell mine. Mm. And, and that, that, but I, if I'm convinced of anything from the last two years, Jonah's version of the story is necessary if I'm going to get the totality of the story. And so being a five, I'm like, yeah, I need to hear your story, Jonah. Come on. Yeah. Cause I want to hoard all these stories. And then I want to go back to my pa- my castle. Because it's the thing about fives. We don't really care about telling you what we think. We just want to we want to have the information there. To know it. Yeah. 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 But so then, you know, that, that invitation, that kind of really at, at all levels, right? This call to fives, come out, come out wherever you are. Share yes. with us who you are, who God created you to be. You have all this perspective that you have carefully cultivated and crafted throughout your life. Will you please, please just pour that generous abundance on all of us? Um, through that call, you you found some ways to say, oh, okay, Derek's story, Derek's perspective matters too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's daily a, a work in progress, right? Like, yeah. Well, so, I mean, I think that this is one of the, one of the tensions with even the way that we approach this podcast, which is that we can feel really reductionist when we, when we try and define ourselves in any particular set of ways, right? To say, oh, the things that define you are this list of identifiable qualities, including, you know, that you're same gender loving, like that's one of the things that is one of your identifiers. And like, mm-hmm. in reality, that's obviously true. And it's one of the things that has been neglected, ignored, abused by the church and by readings of scripture. That's why we need to forefront it when we are reading scripture. And also everything else you just described is part of you in, in a really fundamental way as well that shapes how you read scripture, how you see yourself in scripture, who you identify with in the stories. 
Um, uh -huh. And so I think that that's really beautiful. And I think that what we're fighting for is a world wherein each part of ourselves is a non-controversial um, identity that we bring to to God, to one another, to community, to scripture. And we can put that in conversation to say, <clears throat> you know, what does it mean to be, um, what does it mean to be a same gender loving Christian man who is an Enneagram five and is committed to, to precision and accuracy in the scripture. Okay. And that those things don't have to compete with each other for uh, attention or affection, but, but are part of the whole of you, which could be a list that we go on for days describing because you yeah. like the God that you were created in the image of are, are infinite in character. Um, so I, you know, I, so I like this, trying to put that in conversation. What, what are the identities that you feel like in addition to all of that personality and who you are, um, internally, what are some of those identities that have been marginalized that, that you've also had to kind of fight to bring into conversation with God and community and scripture? And I don't have a good word to explain this, but there is, I, I struggle with believing that I am an intellectual. Hmm. And the reason why I struggle with it is because I have a Bachelor of Arts in History that was a 17 year journey to get, which is a different conversation wow. altogether, right? Yeah. So therefore, if you're counting, and I'll be 41 in July of 2021. So if you're counting, you're like, okay, you've been in campus ministry 12 years. It took you 17 years to get your de your bachelor's degree. Yeah, you don't have a graduate degree or a, anything else. You're right. Mm -hmm. And yet, I think at this deep level, and you talk about an identity that's always been there. Like, I've always been that kid. I was that kid that was curious about everything that wasn't fun. I yeah. was curious about all of the, all of the subject. I mean, this is part of the reason that my great grandmother gives me a Strong's concordance for my 10th birthday. Cause yeah. I was curious about the Looking Bible. Looking it up. Yeah. Right. Like give me that Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic. Come on. Do not. Yes. Don't give me this King James gloss over. Like give me the real thing. And I, that's who I was. But Formal education was a weird journey for me. And yet I yeah. can't wait for the day to open where I can go get a graduate degree. Um, but then I can't do any huh. work. And people like the work I do. And I like the work I do. So that's a whole, yeah. again, a whole other story. But all that say, like, it's hard for me. You know, my students, it's always so interesting. They will say that I am one of the most theologically minded people they know. Yeah. And that's hard for me to, like, embrace because what I've been told is that intellectual people have lots of education. They have credentials, and degrees, and, um, and, and yeah, my comprehension level is pretty vast. And I'm always thinking deeply about most things. And particularly if you step into our campus ministry, that's the space you get to see it the most. Um, but, you know, I don't, I, it's not formal. And so yeah. the question is, like, how do we celebrate the intellectual capacities of people outside of needing to send them to super expensive graduate schools. Yeah. <laughs> um, right. So that's one. And that's one that's like, just comes out of like nowhere. Like, whoa, like you don't call yourself an intellectual. Gosh, no. Like what gives me the right to do that? Like, 
And yet I can't act like I'm not bringing that energy into the room. And again, this is where as a five, like, no, I'm not going to talk about it. Like, I'm not going to like hmm. give everybody everything. Like I, I, so and again, I'm being honest with you and therefore it's going to get, you know, probably, <laughs> I'm probably going to request that it gets edited, but like Jonah, I've been living in this thing my whole life. This, this, this Bible, I have been living in it. And this is the document, the book, the books that have carried me through mm. living in the closet and through yeah. working through racial tension and, and pain and trauma and recognizing that I'm not all I wish I was and, and, and trying to like still show up though I'm embarrassed that I'm still was still an undergrad, like leading campus ministry, but still don't actually have your a degree. Like it's this this book that has gotten me through that. So it's then a a, a same gender loving man who is leaning towards a more leftist or progressive or more liberationist, probably it's a more accurate term. Um you, I I can't disconnect myself from the text. Hmm. I can't. It's not yeah. possible. These words are in me. And when we start talking about life, the stories come up. This is what, so when you yeah. were texting me and you were like, what are we, what are we going to talk about today? Um, and I was like, I just don't know which one not to talk about. Like, cause mm -hmm. they're all there. I mean, there's a Genesis thing related to me um, finding who I am and being proud of that. There's a, I mean, and I, when I say Genesis, I mean like Garden of Eden situation. There's all mm. kinds of stuff around David for me that is like really, really important. There are these yes. other moments in Acts where like you realize how um, not accepted these first followers of Jesus are to yeah. the the main Jewish culture at the moment, which is a marginalized culture by and and so the ways, right? And so the ways that empire divides us marginalized against each other um, in ways that we don't even realize. There's these, all these moments of like Jesus is healing and was Jesus healing them because the healing was the point or what was, or it was, or what's the, I mean, I think that a lot of the healings are actually an indictment on mm. the religious community. Yeah, um, absolutely. Around around community Ableism and embracing and, yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. So you know, like, and then we got Paul, who for many years I was like, I will wrestle him to the ground when I get there, <laughs> and Jesus is gonna be like, stop it, and I'm like, make me, and like, and now I'm like, when I get there, I'm gonna be like, Paul, you can have my mansion because oh wow, you did a thing, and that thing makes it possible for people like me to be strong and proud in this in this space called Christianity. I want to know where this started for you. Like Obviously, you are a person for whom the stories of the scriptures got embedded into your being and are then these resources that you draw from over and over again throughout your life. And I think that's the actual intention of the scripture, right? That, mm -hmm. that we have this well of history 
the stories that are passed down generationally, that are interpreted and reinterpreted, that we find new meaning in throughout our life, where, you know, I think your Paul example is great. I, I want to get there with Paul. I'm still, I'm still in line waiting to, to have a word. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> having a yes. word with Paul, but yeah. but I, you know, the idea that we can that we can even change our relationship to a text or a story, I think that's holy and good. And so I want to know, you know, where that started for you, and how these mm. stories got embedded in your person to be yeah. wells of of hope and strength to draw from. So when I was in middle school and high school, uh, when I was 12, let me back up. When I was four, of many things I knew about myself, I knew that I was attracted to the same gender. Now, I couldn't have articulated it in that way, and I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have articulated it in that way, because when I was four, I knew something was wrong. Wrong. I'm doing air quotes right now, y'all. Um, I knew something was wrong with that. I knew that mm. my community wouldn't know and that they had already by the time I was four I already knew that people who were living into this all-encompassing term in my community of gay were not I was not to be around them very much and I was not Mm. to trust them and so I already knew that and so again I couldn't have necessarily articulated it in a way that would have been accurate Um, I knew inside of me this was true I'll tell you also at four I knew that Jesus loved me yeah, I was baptized before, and the and the church I grew up in was a space that you didn't get baptized unless you were able to answer the questions that the pastor asked you, and if you didn't mm-hmm. answer them accurately, he sent you back to your seat, um, and and you come back when you're ready to like actually like confess Jesus as your Lord, um, and I watched a lot of people go back to their seat. Yeah, I, I don't even remember the day that I went forward. I remember the day I was baptized. Hmm. Um, and just know, again, knowing how my church worked, I knew I had the pass over that hump of saying the right words, probably that accuracy thing coming through at four. And yeah. I, just, I remember, and I, I won't go into the, the baptism memory, but, but I'll just say that, yeah, at four, I knew that Jesus loved me and there was this call in my life, but I also knew I was attracted to the same gender. And so I took that with me. Now, in the same way that my faith became more articulate and became more all-encompassing, and I, as I kept good, getting older, I would live deeper into, oh, Jesus loves me, therefore, right? Mm-hmm. Same thing with knowing that I was attracted to the same gender. It was, I was 12 years old when it finally dawned on me that there was a connection to what I knew at four, to the ways that I was being picked on in elementary school. Mm. And yeah. the, the if, and the feelings I had for certain guys that I was going to school with and was, who also lived in our neighborhood. Like I didn't connect all of those dots until I was 12. And then when I connected those dots, it threw me into depression. Yeah. And that's, again, all of these things are such a story, Jonah. But um, I, was way, I was wanting Jesus to take me out. My thought was that Jesus knew all of this, knew I didn't ask for all of this, but here we are. This is what, what it is. So I must have been created to be rejected. So go ahead and get me out of here. Let's just go ahead and just do it. Get it over with, because until you take me out of here, I'm taking up space, (laughs) taking up space, 
Um, you know, I, I blamed myself for world hunger because if I wasn't here, then other people, even though it's like, no, no like, but this is what I did because like, Oh, this, baby so Derek. I know, I know. So let's just get it over with. Like, just take me out and I'm not going to do it myself. I'm not going to take myself out because if I fail at that, that's going to be just horrible. So, and, and the whole time, I'm like, just take me out. We're done. I get it. You don't really, I'm going to get into heaven on the technicality. I get it. So let's just go ahead and get it over with. Let's, let's just do this thing. And the entire time this is happening inside of me, there's this voice that is like, oh my gosh, I love you. I'm here for you. I'm so glad that you were created. Um, nothing's wow. going to separate. I mean, and, and, and I'm thinking this voice is eventually going to give up because I'm attracted to dudes. And that's not... And so, long story short, that voice led me to text, which I was already sitting in. But all of a sudden, text now became lifeline. And so I started going... Before, it was just being able to stay... Um, yeah, before that point, it was being able just to stay on the same, at the same beat of the church I grew up in. We spent all our time in church. So I was reading scripture just so I could come into Sunday school class Keep ready up. to talk about, yeah, scripture. Or yeah. I could understand what Brevin Young, our pastor, was trying to preach. You know, we're, we, need a, we need a theme for this thing. I want to be somebody that contributes. So I'm searching the scriptures for scriptures about young people. You know, that that's what it was. But then... On the other side of 12 and in depression, it became a lifeline. Like, what are the scriptures that that ref, that echo this voice in me that's saying, you are loved? Yeah. Um, one of those scriptures, Psalm 65, 4. Blessed are those that you choose to approach you. We will be satisfied by the good things of your house, even of your holy temple. And I began to have this vision of Jesus knowing all of this stuff about me and say, wow. yeah, I want that guy. Yeah, I want him. Yeah. And like, I don't get to call, I don't get to, like, I didn't choose me. Jesus chose me. And so Absolutely. I got to figure out how to like get up in, and, and so then Psalms 84, blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. And I begin to like say, all right, I need to just get into Jesus's house. I need to just be, um, you know, no good thing will he withhold those who live a godly life. So what does it mean for me to live a god? So these were my lifelines. And so yeah. to, to go all the way there, that's what that's what began. It began as like, what are the verses that are echoing this voice that seems to be pursuing me and refuses to give up on me, even though yeah. I keep thinking it's going to. And so it's the stories of, of Joseph um, being thrown in a pit and then being thrown into jail and then mm. um, working within a system where people are still trying to get rid of it. Like it's that, and, and the ways that God still provides for Joseph. It, it's this sense that David is, um, I used to spend a lot of time thinking about David and specifically yeah. the David that nobody paid attention to. Um, mm. You know, when the man of God comes to your family and they're like, God's about to like raise up somebody out of this little tribe and nobody thinks to invite David, David, because why would it be David? And that's where yeah. it, it resonates for me. It's like, why would it be me? I'm this yeah. guy who's attracted to guys and I can't even talk about it. Um, and, and I'm depressed and, 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 and so like these became my life plans. I mean, I have this uh, picture of, of, you know, 12 year old Derek with a, with a little devil on one shoulder and angel on the other. Right, and they're they're both speaking to who you are, 
in terms of, you know, I, I the reason I have such like a like a ooh heartache reaction to you saying that that at that age you were saying you know I'm contributing to world hunger um, is because that that's like a hook right into your intellectual heart right where you know as a little kid you're saying well if I'm not good or if I'm bad or if I don't deserve to be here here are all the consequences as a, at a logical level and that's you know I just I, I picture that as the devil taking your strength of being able to to think critically and intellectually in, in these big systems and turning it against you to say, oh, that must be the reason that I'm bad. And then on the other shoulder, though, you just had that strong, persistent, I love you, you're good, I love you, I love you, that also said, Derek, I know you're, you're so smart, you're so thoughtful, you, you love to research, find out, find out in my word. Go, go find it. All yeah. of it's there. Just yeah. excavate it. You're so good at that. And then, you know, you following that invitation from God into these scriptures where you can find more evidence and say, God does love me. And that voice getting louder and louder and louder. And oh, what a holy, holy moment in that kind of spiritual warfare for your being um, where, where the devil's trying to knock you down and say that you're not good enough. But the scriptures become a primary tool for you to say, that just doesn't hold up to scrutiny because God loves the underdog. God loves me. God loves those who live a righteous life. God loves those who uh, are in the scriptures and, uh, and love God back. And I just think that's incredibly powerful and resilient and resourceful of you. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh, Jonah, I'm holding back. Cause there's all these like stories in the scriptures that are like, like that time, remember that time when like, and I'm like, Nope, stop, stop. Cause we, there's other stuff we want to talk about today. So I'm good. Well, so let's talk about that time when the Holy Spirit set everybody, you know, on, on fire with, uh, with tongues of flame. You wanted to talk about Pentecost. So yes. tell me about that story. Tell me what that means to you. Okay. So here's of, of many things. There's so much that I love about this story. I love that we are told about 120 women and men. And there's this explicit women in there. And so it makes me wonder, because like it's all of a sudden like Acts chapter one, we've got 120 people and there's some women in there. And I'm like, so what have they been? And it's not yeah. they showed up on the other side of resurrection. I think they've always been there. We just didn't get that story. We didn't, nobody was yeah. ready, ready to say, actually there's some women caught up in that thing too. Which then, I mean, okay. So anyway, so that that's a piece that I think is really, really fun. Um, I think the whole like who's going to replace Judas thing is really, really interesting in mm. that that part. Um, Peter's transformation is incredible to me of who he's now for the disciples. Um, but the part when we get to Pentecost, um, there's this thing that happens. And it, it, you know, we talk about it being the birth of the church and um, God's Holy Spirit well, descending on them. Okay. Yeah. Before we go in. I think that there are some people for whom Pentecost is shorthand for a story they know like the back of their hand. And for yeah. other people, uh, it doesn't really mean a whole lot. It's like a churchy word or even like a, like a mainline Protestant word. Um, yeah. Yeah. For those who don't know the story or for those who don't know the story by the word Pentecost, can you just tell us, you know, tell yeah. us the story. Take us into that moment. Yep. So it's Jesus is ascending into heaven after his, after his resurrection. He, he's, he's, he's told his disciples to go to Jerusalem 
and wait for a promise. Wait for the wait for the gift of the Spirit. They don't know what this means, but they somehow hear Jesus say, "We need to go to Jerusalem and we need to wait." And so they decide to wait in the upper room. It's the same room that they had um, Passover, the last Passover meal with Jesus before his crucifixion. So 120 of them are in this big room, and according to the text, they've been there together for 10 days. And that to me is already like a hold up because <laughs> I don't like anybody that much. But we, um, so they're in that room for 10 days waiting on this gift. And all of a sudden there's this sound of a rushing mighty wind and there are these tongues of fire. It looks like, and this is, I mean, I think even the images here, you're just grasping at what the heck's mm. going on and just using yeah. whatever language you can. But there's this sense that something is happening and it's supernatural, but it's also like something that people can like say, no, this really happened. It's not just our imaginations. So these tongues of fire, tongues of fire start sort of, you know, waving over these people's heads and then they all start speaking in languages that they've never learned. Mm. One thing that's important um, is that um, these are primarily Galileans and Galileans are primarily working class people in first century AD. These are not individuals who have a ton of education sort of under their belt. They may have some, but then they're sort of these armchair intellectuals sort of like me who are like yeah. I just didn't get to go to the I didn't get to go to that school I didn't we didn't live in Judah we lived in Galilee which is separated off from Judah um with Samaria in the middle so it just it's a lot like we're working class we're fishing and anyway so these are just not people that you're expecting to have fluency in world languages and so that's part of the miracle of this moment as well and so at the time it's the Pentecost celebration which is actually a Jewish festival in its origins, um, uh, the the Feast of, of Tabernacles or the Feast of Tents. And that's a beautiful story in and of itself. So a bunch of people are in Jerusalem to celebrate this feast, this multi-day feast. And they hear these languages. But these people are from the known world. They are Jews and converts to Judaism that live all over the world. And they're in Jerusalem. And all of a sudden, they hear their mother tongue and they hear something very specific. They hear the mighty works of God in their own languages. Mm. And they're like, what is this? Are these people drunk? Like, what is happening that we are hearing this? Um, it just, it's perplexing. They don't know what to do. And so Peter comes out, um, and I'm guessing the other 120 come out of the, uh, of the upper room too. And Peter gives this incredible message and 3,000 people, according to the text, 3,000 people come to join to the, commu the community of believers in Jesus. They get saved that day, all of that. It's beautiful. And from there, this whole community project begins to work, work out or be outworked primarily in Jerusalem and in, in Judea, where people start meeting together, eating together, breaking bread, checking in on each other, making sure there are no needs among this community. And the, and the, so the folks who are following Jesus go from 120 to 3,000 to more than that um, in the first couple of chapters of Acts. Okay. All right. That was the, what a story. That was the best I could do. That was the best yeah. I could do to get that story down. I love what, it. 
So what gets me Although, such ass? Oh, no, okay, you wait, missed wait, wait, my, my favorite verse in there, which is, no, these men are not drunk, for it is only nine in the morning. That's, I love that yeah. line where they're like, are y'all, are y'all drunk? What is happening? And then the justification is like, no, it's 9 a.m. We're for real. This is happening. Uh, you know, just track with us. But it's, it's unbelievable well, to people. We'll have mimosas and sangria at 10 a.m. though. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. So, Not happy hour yet. Um, right. So, what right, the, so, right. So take us in. What does get you about this, this story? So there's this assumption that the people outside the upper room are all hearing the same story just in their own language. Mm. And I get why we would assume that. Why wouldn't the same story of the mighty acts of God be told just in different languages? But when I think about translations, first thing we have to remember about languages, languages are not just go from this word to that word. Languages are as much contextual as they are linguistic and so you 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 have to take into account what the image is behind the word that you're translating in order for the the story to really get there and so i this is just a thought experiment for me but if they're really hearing the mighty acts of god in their own languages what are they hearing and it would make sense to me that the mighty acts of God for Jews living in Egypt are going to be different from the mighty acts of God for Jews living in Cappadocia. Absolutely. Right. And the mighty acts of God for converts to Judaism will be different from the mighty acts of God for Jews who are living um, more in Assyrian, Persian kind of territories, right? Like, um, yeah. And so I just went there, like that, that thought to me. And I, once I realized that, like, I couldn't ignore it. And it, part of it is just because like, I've been in these spaces where we tried to like, translate worship songs so that uh, mm. the band, uh, you know, my campus ministry I was a part of before we started what I'm in now, we used to go to Haiti and we would, they asked us to bring our band and then the lead worship and to sing some of our songs with the sing them in Haitian. And it was always this difficult thing because sometimes a word in, in Haitian Creole really didn't mean what we thought it meant, right? Yeah. Like, and so we had to add like a little phrase had to become a big phrase because the big yeah. phrase really got us there. But if we just did a straight line translation, we weren't going to get there. But then we get beyond just the linguistic thing and the contextual translation. Um, I don't know if the mighty acts of God, and this is where I'm just going to go, and I know somebody's going to check me on, well, now you're just doing, like, stuff in our time. And it's like, that's not the way history worked for them. It's like, we'll have that big, long coffee, and I'll I'll break it down why I just did that. But (laughs) the mighty works of God for Palestinians. Yeah. It's not the same story that the mighty, that, that, um, I'll just say Italians are going to hear. Like, if we're talking about what the story that gets interpreted as this is an awesome God, Palestinians are not going to get the same story that Italians get. Like, that, the, yeah. the history requires us to have a different... We know this. We know that often what is a good story for me is not a good story for you. 
Yeah. You know, the mighty works of God for African-Americans is not the mighty works of God for evangelical white Americans. <laughs> mm. Right? We know this. And we can't assume that it's just a culture war kind of thing. No, this is the way, this is the problem of a single story. The problem of a single story is that we discount that there are multiple players in the room when the story is happening. This is this is what we get from primary sources. And this is why treating primary sources well is important because you will take a secondary source and think of that secondary source because they're giving you one perspective on the moment. That's the only perspective that's worth that's worth listening to. No, you have to dig deeper to the people who actually experienced the moment. So all that to say, on the day of Pentecost, I'm wondering if part of what happens and part of the miracle is that all of a sudden where we had only one story about Jesus, now we have multiple stories about Jesus. And just the amazing yeah. thing that happens when someone <clears throat> hears anything in a language that they were raised with. So this happens at General Conference, where General Conference, United Methodist General Conference, is primarily in English. And there's we have five official languages. And we've got folks who are like, you know, doing, doing the interpretation thing. Praise God for interpreters. We need you. Thank you. Appreciate it. But I remember what there was one session that was um, going to be done first in French and then translated into the other languages. And I watched my friends who were Francophones, my friends who um, from all over the known world, but French was their native, was a native mother language for them. They leaned into that session in a way that they didn't lean into any others. And yeah. part of it is just how much work it takes to like hear one language and then get your language and try to like respond and like, and it just was this example for me of like what happens to a person when they hear something in their own language. You don't even think about it when you're in a place that always speaks your language. But when you go to another country and nobody speaks your language and then you finally hear one person say one English word, you're like, you, I need you. Cause yeah. you, and all of a sudden you like, you feel like you've got a friend, <laughs> like a friend, mm -hmm. like, uh, and so it just makes me wonder, you have these people walking through Jerusalem. And again, our assumption is that that Hebrews their native language or even Greeks their native language. We, we're assuming these things, but if they're hearing their mother tongue declare the mighty works of God, it makes sense yeah. to me that they would like get on board with that story. But it's because all of a sudden we're not just hearing one story, we're hearing multiple stories. Okay, so let me bring this for a landing. At least in the American church, we have one story about Jesus. And if you don't fit into the context of that story, we mm. don't know what to do with you. So if it's a black story, this is what we're talking about. Jesus who comes and delivers us from the, not just the physical bounds that slavery placed on us, but the internal emotional uh, chains that were placed on us because of that institution and the ways that, that institution um, put chains on it, the descendants, that people like me still feel the, the chains of slavery, though it's, been, it's not been legal for almost 200 years. And we tell the story of how Jesus has liberated us. That's a different story. That, doesn't, yeah. that, that story does not place white people as the heroes. It doesn't even really place abolitionists as the heroes. Yeah. It's a different version of the story. And 
there's got to be room for that. We're having a problem making room for the Black story. We're having a problem with, I mean, in greater American uh, evangelicalism and Christendom, we're having, a pro- we're having a problem, right, with the queer version of the story. Yeah. But I think what Pentecost does is the Holy Spirit's like, we're going to make room for all these stories now. We're going to make room for all of the stories. We're going to make sure that all of the stories are being told because all of the stories fit into this much larger narrative of how God is bringing everybody into Jesus's family and we are all invited to Jesus' table. Okay, that was a whole lot, so I'll let you ask some questions and I know we're over time. And ah, I don't even know if that came through clearly, Jonah. <laughs> I love it, Derek. You're doing great. This is amazing because, and I think it it brings up so much for me personally because I have I have a thousand thoughts as well. So let's see if I can pick one. <laughs> but I remember the first time I heard the words of institution. So these are these are the words that we speak over the communion table, and in mm-hmm. English, you know, they're like in the night in which Jesus was betrayed. Um, he, he said all this stuff, right? And so the words that Jesus is saying that we repeat over and over again when we celebrate communion, this is my body broken for you. Um, uh-huh. The first time I heard those words spoken in Spanish, I just, I, I lost it. I wept because it, I knew in my head, I knew in my head that Jesus wasn't saying those words in English when he said them, but the words and what they mean are, are so locked into my native language that to hear them in another language and to know in my spirit that it was just as true in that language that Jesus spoke, you know, estás mi cuerpo in, in like a meaningful way in that moment. And he wasn't talking to me, but, but it was so real. Um, that was, that was, that, that broke me open in a totally new way to, to appreciate just a, a little bit more how big God is and how vast God's liberation is and how God can speak to each and every one of us and does and would, whether I was here or not, to hear it yeah. as, quote unquote, another language. Um, that God speaks those languages whether or not my, my white ears are there to hear them. Right. And I think that that's, we, we need that. Um, but again, that experience comes really differently if you're hearing it from a place of dominant identity versus a place of subjugated, mm-hmm. um, oppressed identity. And, and this is what I, I think the spirit wants to do. I think the spirit wants to illuminate for all of us the multifacetedness of the story. That there is not one dominant narrative but it's all of the narratives together that are actually creating this incredible story. Like this, incre- and, and, and this is where, like, I just can't imagine what it had to be like to be walking around Jerusalem and to all of a sudden hear your mother tongue. I, I just, I, it, 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 I can't imagine the ways that it would not have just hit your brain but hit all of you yeah. and stirred the emotions and stirred the memories and the, the images behind those words. Right. And, and, and in that, that's a call to me to ask the question, am I open to the Holy spirit doing such a thing in my midst? Mm. Am I open to the Holy spirit deconstructing, deconstructing the power of a single narrative 
so that multiple narratives because the 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 story of how Jesus has worked in a trans person is unique. And if I don't, and there's one thing like the trans person knowing their own story. It's a whole other thing when that trans person gets to tell their story and their story is as equally valid and worthy to be heard as the story of the, of the black womanist theologian. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's, that's for me is what, I guess, super nerdy, I guess. Well, <laughs> and all my emotions are deep me, down. Come on. If you'll allow me to circle back then, I think that brings us right back to the beginning of the conversation, which is that, you know, there can be a moment for some people to say, oh, I have heard from God. I've heard my story from God. Let me just sit on that. Let me just keep that for myself. I don't Mm -hmm. want to mess it up. I don't want to interrupt the flow. I don't want to. So I'll just receive that. But, but the command then is to go and tell it, right? Because the Holy Spirit didn't come down and speak to everybody, everybody's languages. Right. This is, this is how our God works. And this is the thing that, that I I love and, and get so frustrated with God about is like, I'm kind of like, God, just do it. Just do your thing. And God's like, no, I'm doing it with you. I won't do it without you. I want you in on this that God gives us all of those stories in our own languages, speaks to our hearts, and then relies on us, invites us to tell one another and to listen to one another so that we can get the whole picture, which means that there is a version of the gospel truth that only Derek Scott III has heard and that I can't know, that no one can know, unless you speak it out into the community and, and everyone else is willing to sit down and listen. So, so here's the deal. Like when we start asking the question about why certain people don't, this is why I love this whole podcast idea, mm-hmm. Jonah. When we start asking the question of why certain people aren't um, amenable to the story of Jesus and the work of the church. I now, because of Pentecost, my question is, does our story have anything to do with their story? Hmm. You know, when you are a mega church trying to do the multi-ethnic thing and it's not working, is it that the version of the story you're telling doesn't resonate? Yeah, it's still the wrong language. When we are bringing all of our cityness to a rural church, we're like, why don't they just why don't they just listen to us, you know? And right, then this happened when, like, um, someone comes to Zao and they're like, yeah, we really should um, be, uh, and I can't even imagine, but, like, they give you, like, their little version. And it's like, you clearly don't know our story here. Hmm. Like, you want to come, you want to roll in and, like, you don't know our story. And so it's, it's, yeah. it's hard for them to come. And so it just makes me wonder, like, and this then becomes a function of evangelism, right? Like, to what degree, and, and, and people have done this work. They often don't talk about it, but like, I can't talk to a person about Jesus until I know the story they're coming in with. Yeah. 
you know, and and there, there, and then you begin to recognize the intersection that Jesus has already created, and we get to live into it. It's a whole. It's I mean, it just this is where it like literally like starts ricocheting. But I'll take it all the way there. Revelation seven. There's this incredible vision of every nation, tribe, and tongue standing before the Lamb, and they're all apparently yeah. singing the same songs. But clearly, they're not all singing the same songs in the same language. Otherwise, we wouldn't mm-hmm. have known. Yeah. That there were different people. Like, so diversity is present and we can see it and we can name it, but I think we can also hear it. And so what we have to actually get ready for is that the stories are going to be told at the same time and that yes. it brings a harmony. It brings, it, it brings a fullness to the praise of God and to the declaration of all that God has done and wants to continue to do when we allow, and so this is the insidious nature of whiteness. It will keep us from experiencing heaven. Yeah. When we flatten the stories, when we tell people to all get behind one story, because even the Jesus died on the cross for our sins does not translate Mm. the same way across all of our, all of our experiences. And so when we're not able to even appreciate different atonement theories, but we're not able to appreciate the different ways that people come to this story. I mean, gosh, you cannot talk to people who have lost loved ones from slavery and oppression that one person's sacrifice is just like, makes it all better. You have to come mm. at that with a different, a different tenor, a different accent. So, yeah. I hear you. I hear you. And I, at the risk of, we are way over time, but we're going to oh, trust sorry. the production team to get us where yes, we need to they're go. They're going to do the thing. But my favorite way to pray, um, which is weird for me to even say that I love to pray in lots of different ways, but my favorite, the thing that, that gives me chills more than anything else is when I can gather in a room with other people and, and I haven't, I, you know, haven't really done this in a long time. The pandemic separated a lot of us and zoom as, as something built for dominant culture does not allow for this. It literally will start to kind of glitch if you try and do this over zoom, but in a room you can, you can have everybody pray out loud at the same time in their own words, their own languages, their own moment in the story and speak, speak praises to God, pray petition to God. And the cacophony is so beautiful and it's, it fills the space in a fundamentally different way. And, and not being able to hear any particular thing in its fullness doesn't matter because you can hear these snippets and you can trust that it is true. And that, mm-hmm. that's what I imagine when you talk about, yes. you know, moment and revelation and you're right, you know, narrowing it down, flattening it out, um, demanding that it conform to white supremacy in particular, and also to, to dominant culture more generally, it, mm-hmm. it will keep us out of heaven. It will lock us in that zoom dysfunction of, yes. of just trying to pick one and, and mute everybody else. And it's, uh, we, are, we lose so much, but we have so much potential if we can create that space where everyone can speak the truth of God simultaneously. Mm-hmm. And instead of freaking out about it and trying to piece it together into one narrative, we can actually just sit in the holiness of that moment and take it in. You said it better than I said it. Real talk. This has been so much fun. I... Yeah, we we should definitely wrap here. But I have my final questions for you. Yes, um, yes. 
I love it that we also, you know, I, I say we, you, you took us from Genesis to Revelation over the course of this podcast. <laughs> it's all in there, man. I should have expected nothing less. Uh, so for our closing questions, number one, is there anything in the Bible that you think gets too much attention, too much airtime, too much focus? I think... I think the emphasis on the law gets too much attention. Hmm. And I think that because my Jewish siblings don't give as much airtime to it as Western Christians. Yeah, which is ironic given that we can all acknowledge that it is Jewish law. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I think our I think our pre, our preoccupation, even in the let's not talk about it or let's ignore like all of that, like it's like mm. no, 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 no. Somehow no, we no. haven't done our work to get right with it. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, all right. So then part two, is there anything in the Bible that you wish would get more attention in airtime? Obviously there are so many of these stories that you've talked about, but overall, you know, what do you think we miss? Um, I think there is something to what God was hoping would happen with God's people in Exodus. Exodus 19 is this space where God's like, I brought you on this mountain, I rescued you, I bore you on eagle's wings, and here's what I want. I want you to be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. And I think that we have not looked deeply in what that is and how that original vision connects with what the prophets are screaming about, which then connects to what the gospels are trying to illuminate, the ways that Jesus is trying to say, you've heard it said, but I say, that I say is trying to get back to this, here's what we were trying to do. And even the ways mm. that Israel getting a king and a monarchy was a rejection of the Exodus 19 vision. Yeah. And, 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 so, you know, and so you connect Exodus 19 with Hebrews 13, You've not come to this mountain that can't be touched, but you have come to this holy mountain, the kingdom that cannot be shaken. For what? It's for the sake of the world. It's for the sake of, of the marginal. It's like, so it's just, I don't think we've done enough and spoken enough that this idea of like existing as a just body that's following God is actually this thing that God was like, thinking up as early as Exodus 19, but you can actually do the work and it's as early as Gen Genesis 12. I mean, like yeah. it's all in there. And I think, I don't, I think we've not done ourselves a favor of like going back to what it means to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, literally a nation that exists for the rest of the world, a nation that exists to reflect the goodness of God for the sake of the rest of the world. It goes all the way back to Exodus 19. Um, mm. And how phenomenal that God would choose an oppressed group to do it. Yeah. God did not yeah. ask Egypt to do it. God asked Israel to do it. Because Israel knows what it's like to be oppressed. Oh, okay. Stop, 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 stop. Oh. This is, this is the goodness of scripture that I, that, you know, when we, when we get alienated from the text and told it's not ours, we miss that there is so much in there. 
And I just, I love it. I love your passion for the scripture. I love, uh, I love your lens. I love everything that you've been bringing. So thank you so much, Derek, for being with us today. Um, we are going to call it here. Um, are there any other ways that people can um, connect with you in your work or, um, you know, I know yeah. you put out a lot of content. People might love to hear it. Yeah. So um, I've got a blog, uh, DerekLaRuth.com. Um, I blog maybe once a month. Um, I blog when I have the space to actually like write it and get it accurate, which is not a lot these days. But I'm mostly on Twitter um, at DLaRuth3. That's D-L-U-R-U-T-H-3. On Twitter, that's where I am the most. I can't stand Facebook, but we can be friends on Facebook if you want. And um, and then I'm on uh, Instagram at, at Mark Vern. And that's its own story. Everything's a story, um, as we've discovered today. So, I love it. All right. Well, thank you so much, Derek. And thank uh, you, Jonah. It's been great. Yeah, I'm sure we will have you back as well. Cool. Thanks for listening to this episode of Jonah and the Peacock. We hope you enjoyed it. This show is presented by The Liberation Project and produced by Wesley's Revival.